This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today we're talking to Erin uh, Montgomery. Her new book, or not so new, but her book that I recently discovered, Dirty Little Secret. <laughs> I, I just discovered the Dirty Little Secret. Uh, confessions, and I do mean confessions, of an alien contactee. And we all have confessions, don't we? I know I do. You know I've had a lot of sexual contact, and so has Aaron, and it's a big part of a lot of our lives. And it's not a part of our lives we're especially willing to talk about interaction with apparent hybrids. And, of course, you know, Ann and I had one follow us from upstate New York to, to Texas, and he was real, and he was terribly terribly distressed and having a hard time and so we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff like that because Aaron's had a lot of the same experiences and more and and has Aaron is it's exciting because she has a a long arc of experience and a lot of changes in the way she thinks about it and handles it uh her facebook page is dirty little secret uh you just go to facebook and put in dirty little secret and aside from many peculiar websites you will find i mean facebook pages you will find hers <laughs> and you can get in touch with her there very quickly i certainly did and if you want to interact with her she's also connected to uh She's a member of Iran Smith's group, Ciro, and she is, uh, uh, you can get in touch. The simplest way to get in touch with Ciro is to simply type in C-E-R-O and Google and search for it. It's easy to find. And so let's get started. You start your book with, I am not new to strange experiences. I have been steeped in the paranormal and the esoteric. For long, as long as I can remember. But of all the weirdness I have experienced in my life, astral travel, premonitions, ghostly encounters, etc., there is one phenomenon I have tried my best to pretend doesn't exist. Well, a lot of heads are nodding besides mine. <laughs> uh, what? Let's talk, before we go into the one that doesn't exist, that does exist, that we wish didn't exist sometimes, and sometimes we long for, <laughs> yeah. and we have all these complicated feelings about, why don't we talk about some of the other stuff? Give us a, when does the, when do you remember your first paranormal experiences? I, um, I think most of the paranormal experiences that I remember, you know, the earliest started when I was, uh, probably puberty, you know, going through junior high at the time, um, being able to see strange auras and like purple, purple energy movements through my room and seeing them outside and then being able to hear voices that are coming through that. Of course, that sounds crazy as we, um, all wonder, you know, are we crazy? Are we losing, um, touch with reality? But at the age of, you know, 12, 13, I, was very interested in ghostly experiences and things like that. And it was about that time that I realized, oh, gosh, I really can perceive these beings and I can 
trying to communicate with these beings, you know, thinking they're ghosts and, and things like that. Um, I know that as early as like two years old, I was having strange things happen to me, even though I don't remember it. Um, um, my mom tells a story about when my grandparents came to visit me and I was about two years old and she, um, she and her sister gave birth just within two days of each other. So I was born first and my cousin was born two days later and, um, they were going to withhold calling my grandparents anything and let us come up with our names, um, for them that we wanted to call them. Right. And so, my cousin and my grandparents lived in the same city. He was exposed to them on a daily basis, and he came up with the name Papa for my grandfather. And so at the two years old, they came to visit me, and I ran up to him and said, Papa, and they had no clue how I could have uh, come up with the same name that my cousin did. And so it makes me wonder, like, even then, was I having um you know, precognition or telepathy to know that that's what he was supposed to be called. You know, we're, we're apparently born this way. Uh, there's a doctor who studies the brains of people like us. And, um, a lot of them have an, an, a, a, a large amount of something called white matter between two brain areas, the caudate and the putamen. That's apparently that they're not sure yet is associated with this kind of, experience and or an ability to perceive it and while in my brain the amount of it is normal it's not really thick it's the structure of it is completely unique in their experience and i'm I, you know we really need hopefully we'll get money eventually and more people can be studied it would be great to have an MRI, if you have an mri scan of your brain uh it would be wonderful oh. to get it into this I don't know if you do or not, but because uh, you don't need a new one. I mean, okay. uh, but anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, and, and folks listening, if you are a close encounter witness and you do have an MRI of your brain, let me know at whitleyatstreber.com if you want it to be studied because uh, that could be done. Uh, and uh, it it might help all of us know why it is that we're the ones who remember this stuff. And the question then is, does it happen to everybody and just us remember it or not? I don't know. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're kind of, kind of in this thing and we're kind of alone in it. How did you feel when you first realized, began to realize you had this, that these contacts, that these memories and experiences were somehow real? I, you know, I didn't have any actual memories of contact with ET beings until I was about 19 years old. And I remember very distinctly the night where it kind of came crashing in. Um, and not even, it, it's weird because I didn't even have any visualizations of anything that happened. I just knew that it was a part of my life. I was 19 years old. I was in college. There was a man giving a lecture and I, so wanted to go see it and it was about UFOs and I was so excited and I walked down there in the dark 
at night to um, sit in for this. I was with my boyfriend at the time. And um, I sat down and listened to this older man talk about redacted documents and uh, radio signals and and how it cannot be proven that they don't exist. Of course, I know who it is now, and I've seen him speak on many, many occasions. And, and of course, he, he passed away just, I think, in the last two years. This would be Stanton Friedman. But while I was sitting in that lecture, all of a sudden something shifted in me and I became terrified. I was so excited beforehand and then terror. And and I went outside and I was afraid to look up into the stars. I've always loved, you know, being outside in the night sky. And I even, you know, I didn't have a telescope until I was in high school. But being able to look at the stars and see the constellations, all of this was really fun for me and all of a sudden I could no longer look up in the sky so I knew that there was something in this lecture that triggered something in me that that shifted all reality for me and and walking home in the dark keeping my head on the ground with my boyfriend and then we went to bed and then there was something that happened that night. There was a big explosion of light outside the window and and while I don't remember what happened I, I do think it was an acknowledgement of, yeah, hi, we're here, guess what? And um, it was from that point on that memories as I was a child started to come back to me, just slow bits, uh, floating out of bed, going down the hallway, seeing these beings. And, too, at that point in time, I was starting to have, um, like, conscious recall of things that were happening in the moment. Um, you know, if, if they would come and, and, and interact with me, I would actually remember, oh gosh, okay, so this is what happened last night. When, um, when did you last have an experience? Uh, probably just within the last few days. I mean, I, I am constantly having, yeah, I'm constantly having. Do you think it's stepped up? Is it, or is it just always like this? Yes, I do think that it is ramping up. Yeah, and for me, it's mostly the, the astral travel type. I'm not like, I don't, I'm not physically leaving the bed, at least not that I can perceive, but I'm actually having marks. So maybe I am, I'm not sure, but yes, I think it is ramping up. I am having more and more experiences. And of course, now I'm, uh, my current partner is also a, a contactee, and and so we're having joint experiences or experiences on the same day in different places with different information that we're receiving. So it's becoming really quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, I should say. You know, my last experience was night before last, and in the after the show in the third half hour, I will let my listeners know and viewers know what happened. But we're not talking about that right now. What I would rather do is go back a little bit again to your your move to Roswell, uh, and how did that happen? Because that was a that was an important change in your life that would lead you eventually in a certain direction. 
Definitely it did. And it was completely against my will. It is not what I wanted to do. And it was, I think, a continuation of the, I don't want to look in the sky. I don't acknowledge what's happening to me. And here I find myself having to move into like alien central uh, Roswell, New Mexico, where, you know, it kind of all not all started for America. There were some incidences beforehand, but this is where it kind of exploded back in 1947. And I, Fought it tooth and nail. However, my husband at the time, who was my boyfriend that was with me at the lecture uh, when I was 19 and our two children had to move to Roswell because his family lived here and and we needed the support and, and monetary help um, as a young couple um, in our early 20s. And um, and I had the hardest time adapting to living here. I was refusing to go down Main Street because every single building all the street lights have little alien eyes on them. Uh, you know, every storefront has pictures painted of aliens. There's on the signs, on billboards, everywhere. Even the city trucks have, you know, and everything has aliens or UFOs on it here. And so being able to cope with it, it's, it's like a cosmic joke, man. Like, no, we're going to make her adapt to this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's you go. sort of like that, isn't it? <laughs> And a cosmic mm-hmm. joke, and you know, and you were, you were kind of being f- forced into something, pushed into it. You know, I know people who, who, who've worked on the materials that were found at Roswell, and you know, there's something about that place. Uh, that you know, when you, I always say that when you look at the materials, please be aware of the fact that they're looking back at you. And uh, <laughs> it's true of Roswell itself. I mean, it's like a place where. You're going to be completely steeped in this. Did you feel a sense of when did you first begin to put together the idea that this is this is because by the time you moved to Roswell, you you knew something about what had been happening to you. When did you first begin to become aware of that, uh, that, you know, something? Wait a minute. I'm it's not just ghosts and stuff. I've got aliens in my pants. <laughs> when did you think of that? <laughs> it was it was right at that time when I was nineteen. So nineteen to twenty is when it started to really dawn on me. And from I would say about twenty to twenty five. So between the two children that I um, I had here on Earth, anyways, um, it became more and more prevalent and understood to me and so i was in las cruces new mexico at the time which you know there's a there's um um a missile range right there too so that i'm not kind of not surprised that i found myself in that area as well but um but it was at that time where uh okay i understand um i there are aliens going on yes i may be able to do i mean i was starting to develop and understand my psychic abilities at this time and it just sort of unfolded i mean there was a shock to the system but then it was like a natural easy progression into oh ho, ho, ho. okay so this is coming from outside of the you know outside of my known universe um and 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 now i'm understanding that i have had these experiences um it was certainly not an easy moment for me but then i you know ran into the idea of a star seed of okay so maybe i'm not from here either and i think that made it a little bit um more mm, palatable i guess you could say as i as i explored and started to understand 
these experiences I had. And the fact that I was having these memories coming back from, eh, I think I was around seven or so, um, that was really starting to be more and more prominent in my mind that I, I knew this has probably been a long time coming. Um, nobody in my family talked about any of these things either, which, which, um, it would have been helpful, I think, you know, for me at the time to understand that it wasn't just me. Um, and I and I met people throughout these years, too, that were able to help me come to terms and understand a little bit at that time. And it wasn't but it wasn't until the move to Roswell um, that I was having open contact that I was remembering and able to say, oh, hi, little preacher. <laughs> what are we doing today? You know, it's. um um, it was really this move here that kind of made it explode in my mind. Well, in my reality, I guess, not my mind. Free Dreamlanders, we're going to take a little break now and um, listen to some wonderful commercials. And subscribers will just keep right on keeping on. We're talking to Erin Montgomery you can find her on Facebook, DirtyLittleSecret.com, or excuse me, her Dirty Little Secret Facebook page, pardon me. Her book, Confessions of an Alien Contactee, Dirty Little Secret, it's a short, extremely intense, and well-thought-out book. Uh, if you are a close encounter witness, it will help you in a number of ways. First, it's going to help you cope with your experience and with the incredible intimacy of it. And uh, I know a lot of us are having trouble with that. And we're going to talk about that very frankly soon. Um, and it's also going to give you ideas about who to talk to, where to go, uh, what people like Yvonne Smith are all about, what they do, what they can do for you, et cetera, and so forth. Because it's time for us to, to try to start to heal. And, but before we talk about that aspect of Aaron's experience and of, uh, our own futures, because we have to find a way to, to live with this, let's, let's instead talk about what the, when you, when you move to Roswell, you had this, it was as if it was pulling you in a way without you knowing it. it was pulling you. It's like it wants to be understood in some way. It doesn't want to hide. Or am I wrong about that? Or do you, what, how, how, how do you react to that idea? Well, actually, I just got goosebumps. And for, for me, that's, that's, uh, proof positive. Like you just, you just hit on a major truth. Um, I, that's that's like my way of indicating up. Oh, okay, so whatever was just said is true, um, and it very well is true. I this is something that I think, um, you know, I, I talk often about being led and being like moved like a chess piece in a game because I need to understand this. I need to be able to be there and aware and come to terms with who I am and what's going on in my life. And the only way I think they, they could have gotten me to do it was to plant my boat right here in town um, so that I could 
come to terms with this. I mean, if I'm living in a town where this is not prominent and in my face, it would have been very simple just to, you know, whatever. I'm just going to keep on going with my life. This is not going to be anything that is going to affect me. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to just hide, you know, from the reality of, of my life. And, um, but no, once, once I moved here and I could not escape it, even though I tried, um, you know, eventually I did have to learn the roads and I did have to travel down Main Street and, and I came to terms with, okay, I'm not going anywhere. And in fact, I've been here for 20 years now, um, 22 actually minus six months a little bit ago. Um, but being here, being steeped in the lore of, of what happened in this area, being, um, and, and, and I guess really finding the truth of my own experiences is exactly what it is I was supposed to do. So you meet Yvonne Smith and this is a very important moment because you, she gives you a warm hug and you're suddenly, you've got support in a support group. And then what happens? Right. You right. To, so you, I have you, you, your book, you says things got really intense that night. What happened? Yes, that was, uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, in my mind, as I'm trying to explain my experiences to people, I say there's three different categories of experiences that I have had. There's the ones that are loving and beautiful or major learning experiences that are great. There's the pile of things that happen that really scary, but not necessarily bad. And then, and then there was what happened that night and, and it was absolutely terrifying to me. Um, I had gone to the UFO festival for the first time in about 2012, um, you know, just kind of screwing my courage to the sticking place and I was just going to do it. And I, that's where I met Yvonne and I realized I'm not alone. I've got all this support. And I went home, went to bed that night and woke up being transported through the wall of my bedroom. And I was in some sort of, like a gurney, but it was wrapping, like wrapped around my head. I couldn't see anything but straight above. And I was seeing the window in my room and I was going through the wall and I thought to myself, well, okay, that's interesting. And then I kind of blacked out and I came to, you know, back into consciousness and I was laying on a cot, like a military type cot. And I was it just this incredibly excruciating pain across my lower abdomen. I, you know, trying to sit up to, you know, hold myself, but I couldn't because I was strapped down. Panic starting to sit in. There's two beings at the foot of this cot. Very, um, I would call them like a tall gray type of being, not the small, like two to three foot, um, you know, a three or three, you know, it depends on the type, but anyways, these these taller beings at the end of the bed and they're um you know operating between my legs and I don't know what's going on but there's another cramp you know ah what's going on with my stomach um and then I see this man approaching man looked like a human um in a military type garb he had on fatigues 
He had short gray buzz cut haircut. He had on a lab coat and was carrying a, a clipboard. And he was walking around the room and I was not the only woman there. There were many of these beds and there are many of us yelling and fright, frightened over what was going on. And I, I was trying to call out to him like, Hey, can you come get me out of here? Because you look like him and what's going on. And he looked at me and then he looked away as like, okay. And went on about his business and, you know, out of everything that I've gone through that moment. Well, that will never leave me. Uh, but still the, the, the pain and the, and I realized what I was experiencing was labor and I'm giving birth and <laughs> there was no way I could have been pregnant. I was not sexually active. There was no man in my life. I, there's no, I could not have been pregnant. There's, there's no way. Um, and in fact, didn't have any of the signs of pregnancy either, you know, during my waking life or, you know, outside of this particular thing, which felt like a dream, absolutely terrifying nightmare. And, and then I see this, you know, the, the tall beings have this like small infant in their, their almost fetus. I mean, it was so small. It was the hand size and, and they take it away. And, and, I blacked out at that point in time, you know, lost consciousness, woke up in my bed in the morning thinking, God, that was the most God awful thing I've ever experienced in my life. That was the most horrible dream. I don't want to ever experience anything like that again. I go to move, sit up, and I've got aches and pains in my stomach. Like, uh oh. So there were I get up and I look in the mirror. I've got broken. There were after. Yeah. And here's here's the absolutely. I want to touch on, we would think, oh, well, this was just a nightmare, but there's a detail here that's awfully hard to explain. That is, what you mm. saw was very small. In other words, if you had been pregnant with something that small, it might have been close to term without you feeling much of anything because the uterus never expanded. In other words, it was, right. it, it was the size of an embryo, of, a, of, a, of an undeveloped embryo, but it had developed on its own. That's, a, that's an absolutely creepy detail that suggests to me the possibility, and it's after all, everything we talk about is in terms of possibilities, and maybe this happened, and maybe it didn't, and maybe it was this way, and maybe it wasn't. But there's a possibility that you're telling a story about a real experience because of that little detail that would never have come up in a dream. I don't, I wouldn't think. Maybe it would. I don't know. Maybe it would have. Maybe it would have. And maybe, and I, I would imagine that the human mind is so strong that it could create some of the uh, wounds, I guess, that I had that next morning as well, because I had broken blood vessels all through, you know, over my eyelids, across my nose and under my eyes, as if I had been crying very, very hard, which is, you know, what happens to me if I'm bawling my eyes out. I, I end up with these broken blood vessels all over, and I had them in the morning upon waking. And I also had, and, I, and this isn't the only time I've had this, but I had um, three bruises on each leg about yay long as if um, on the inside of my thighs like fingers 
and so I, you know, I wouldn't have had that. I didn't have them the night before. I shouldn't have woken up with these bruises on the inside of my legs. However, with the series of events and knowing that there were these creatures, you know, basically in between my legs, you know, I, I don't know. To me, it was very, very real. You know, this creatures between your legs fascinates me because that happens to me. And uh, we're going to take another brief break for those who are listening on the free side. And for subscribers, we will keep on. Okay. Okay. We're back for free Dreamlanders and subscribers never left, never left the store. Uh, we're going to be talking now more about sexuality and this experience. And this is, you know, it's just like a dream that has some kind of connection to reality, but functions like a dream at the same time. And yet, I mean, look at Aaron describing all of these physical effects. She obviously had a hell of a lot of stress that night, a hell of a lot, more stress than you would normally have with a dream because, let's face it, you don't wake up from a nightmare with your eyes all screwed up like that. Uh, you wake up from a very traumatic experience. But what in the world is it? Because it it just has the quality of dream. I have that happen to me all the time. I, I, we all do. The whole thing is like on the shadow line between the real world and another world. Well, let's talk about what's the first <laughs> sec, excuse me. What's the first sexual experience that you really remember with regard to this? I'm not going to say that um, I have early memories of anything sexual happening. Um, I do have a lot of memories of um, babies being taken and things like that. But in the last two years or so, I have it's, it's like things have shifted as far as sexuality goes. Um, you know, a little bit of personal information about me. I've been married several times and in my, in my last marriage, there it was very, there was very little sexuality and I would go to sleep and find myself in this, this blue room. And as, as uh, some friends of mine have termed, it's the blue room boom boom because <laughs> there's many, it's many different people, human and not. Possibly hybrids. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's, it's, it's a very sexual moment and it's almost like learning. Somebody is learning about how do, how do you touch a woman? Do you do it like this? Oh, she likes that. And, and these things. And I would wake up going, what the heck? That felt good, but what the heck was going on? And I've got my husband next to me and, and there was this time back in 2019 where it was happening like every night and I finally, before bed said, okay, listen, if we're going to do this, can you like involve him too? Cause this is getting weird. You know, we're, we're like, I'm a monogamous creature and all these things are happening. My husband's right there and he's not involved. And so there, the humor that can in lies some of these experiences is, is incredible. And so that night I was back in this place. It was anti-gravity though. So we were floating around, but it was still this blue room. 
And then I, I look over as I'm having a sexual experience with, I don't even, I, did, I wasn't even perceiving who it was with, but I saw my husband like floating by, <laughs> like just like, doo-doo-doo. like, okay, that is not what I meant, but that's very funny. Ha ha. Um, you know, and, and woke up just shaking my head going, okay, okay. (laughs) Y'all don't get it. (laughs) But, but, um, I mean, and I guess it, it goes much deeper than that. I think that there's, there's a level that people don't, um, associate very often is, um, when it comes to sexual attraction and even, you know, just with other humans here on this earth, we are again like pawns and brought into each other's world on purpose. Like, okay, so you need to breathe with you. And, and so I think that a lot of us experiencers are having, having that happen, not even realizing the other person that we're with is actually an experiencer as well. Um, and I, and I have noticed that in my current relationship. And it's, um, it's quite bizarre to realize that like, wait, am I, am I in control of my life or am I not in control of my life? Am I just doing everything that I'm told or, you know, what was going on? And, um, so it, it, it gets very complicated and very deep and, um, makes you question everything about what you understand about yourself and everything, just everything yeah. is on the line. Your whole, I remember very well after my first sexual experience, which was very intense, at least the first one I remembered. It happened in the house in, in a room full of people, one of whom I recognized, uh, who was an intelligence officer I'd known for years. And he, I've, I've confronted him about it. And he, he has no memory of it. But weirdly enough, another person I know, was told his name in the most improbable, bizarre way. And, and it was informed that he had been told that he must never speak of it at any time in his life. So, I mean, and these two people are literally in different parts of the world. They know nothing of each other. So, and the sexual experience was so overwhelmingly powerful. Uh, and I was so ashamed when I told Anne, you know, that I had been unfaithful. And she said, Whitley, you weren't unfaithful. You were, there was nothing you could do about it. And I said, no, I, there wasn't actually anything. But I still felt the shame. I wonder how do you feel about these experiences? I, you know, back in 2019 when it started to become more of a sexuality versus breeding, if that makes sense, um, moment, I was confused why I was not, you know, like, why is my partner over here? But, um, you know, over the last year or so, it it is a little bit bizarre. I don't have a feeling of guilt or shame. More like confusion, um, like, okay, so why did that happen? And, and, um, you know, extremely intimate moments. And, and these, some of the beings are human, some are not, you know, or they appear human. Um, don't, 
know them, but as you said, extremely powerful sexual moments. And then, and then waking up and looking at my partner, I'm like, man, that was weird. You know, like just, yeah. I just had this experience with this type of creature. And for him to say, yeah, I woke up, as he would say, fully torqued. And so he knows when something has happened to him as well. Um, like I, I don't remember anything, but I woke up like this and it's weird. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I don't necessarily have that feeling of shame, especially not with this particular partner because we have, you know, sat and talked for many, many hours about the expansion of love and, and intimacy and, and sexuality and how it, it goes beyond what um is seen here on earth well at least in america like this you know we've got your nuclear family and this is how it works and you're supposed to do this and and we're just throwing that all out the window or at least attempting to um it's it feels you know. like it doesn't it it's a completely different a different way because it's very communal like you know you're in a room full of people and they're all doing stuff exactly. i was in a room full of people the person i was i was making love with was no people and was definitely an alien, or if that's what mm-hmm. they are, and uh, definitely not right. human. In fact, the face was blacked out so that I couldn't see it because I had a feeling. And he said later, I know why the face was blacked out. I said, why? She said, because you would have g- gone down <laughs> like a completely collapsed if you'd seen that face. And I said, maybe it's you true. You know, my, my, my writing partner. Yeah. My writing partner on Supernatural, one of the books I wrote, which, which is the one that has the most detail about these sexual experiences in it said he thought maybe the reason that Anne was so unconcerned was that it, in a sense, it was her, that this is something to do with us and the way we are that we don't fully understand that we're like the caterpillars and they're the butterflies. What do you think to that? Does that make any sense to you? Or is it that not sort of? No, it makes, your- it, no, it makes complete sense to me. Um, one of the things that I have been taught by these beings is how to dial in and out from individuality, you know, being very, you know, just, uh, pinpointed consciousness of my, in my current physical body and dialing it all out, all the way out to like a universal consciousness and then understanding being part of the all. And I think that may be part of that experience too, because we are, you know, we are ourselves in that moment, but not only could that being have been Anne, but it could have also been you. You know, and, and, and experiencing yourself in many different ways, just as it could have been Anne or it could have been somebody else or, and it probably was that individual consciousness in that body at the same time. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that's, you know, a lot of what they ta- teach me is, is, is this multidimensional. Do not, do not limit yourself. You're, you're being silly child. You know, open up your mind. You are much more than you even, even, begin to understand. Well, uh, Aaron's sound is going wonky, but we can still hear you. Mm-hmm. And But everyone who listens to this show or watches is used to plenty of wonk. It's a wonky show, technologically. <laughs> I, um, so, now, here's the thing that happens. 
that you talk about a lot in the book. Uh, it is that there may be something about this that's not negative. Like in my life, it, it's the most useful, valuable thing in my life and also the scariest at the same time. So tell us a little bit about that aspect of, uh, it's wonderfully described in the book. Well, it is very true. I mean, the, some of the experiences I had, especially that one, um, with the, with the human military approaching, um, was absolutely terrifying. And it was that, just expand on it hmm. a little bit. I don't think you d- discussed it in too much detail earlier. So it, 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 can you expand on it a little bit and then go ahead? It, it, the human, the one with the military. The human. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah, so so that in particular, you know, at the point when I had this experience, um, giving birth to a creature or, you know, uh, an entity that was tiny, you know, smaller than the palm of your hand was not um, unknown to me. It had happened before. I was used to it. It was the insertion of a human in this experience and a human that did not care at all for me or any of the other people in the room, just it, I felt all of a sudden like cattle. Like I didn't matter that I was a tool, that I was being used for something. And that is not an experience I had ever had before. Um, I was in an underground area. It was it was not in a sterile environment like I was used to. It was there was something fundamentally different about that experience. That made it so terrifying. And the fact that the human was there and did not care and walked away, it, it kind of broke me. That it, 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 it broke my psyche a little bit. And, and at that point in time, I like was afraid to go to sleep, um, kept the light on all the time, had these feelings of paranoia. Like, oh, don't come get me. I can't handle this. Don't. And that's what prompted me to go and, and start looking into the hypnotic regression. Um, but that that gets me off a topic from your question of how do how do you and I almost kind of forget what the question we're engaged in an exploration and I'm throwing questions yeah. out. But, you know, you can riff around them, which is fine, which is what you're doing, because right. after all, right. we're all here to not to learn facts so much as to get a sense of your of, of your presence and your experience and your emotional content. And that's going very, that part of the interview is going very, very well indeed. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, so the, you were talking about the, the, basically the military looking guy. And you know, the people who put the implant in my ear were, if they were, they were human and they were, it's, it felt like they weren't wearing uniforms, but they were, it felt like a military operation. And when the, they, the people in the house were warned that I was awake, it was a voice from the backyard, a male voice that said condition red, which is a very military way of talking. But, you mm-hmm. know, and Melinda Leslie would say these are military people and there is a military component to this. How do you react to that? I do, that possibility. Well, I, 
I think I think that it, it's absolutely true. Um, I don't know a lot about it, and in fact, I've been a little bit nervous about diving into. Do I have any other of these military experiences? I sure don't want any. I don't like them. There's there is a lack of compassion and caring that I have come to understand and experience with these beings. Even if I, you know, as a small child, did not understand. Um, granted, what I remember from a small child wasn't remembered as a small child. It is, you know, as I um, grew up and became a young adult that I started to remember these things. And yes, I was very scared by what they were doing, such as implants and things like that. But I was always taken care of and cared yeah. for. And and had companions that would spend time with me and talk to me and teach me. And and I still have teachers that teach me. It's it's a one of the most phenomenal experiences I've ever had. I mean, being taught how to vibrate like a bee to be able to reach into a universal consciousness. I mean, come on. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> this is an integral um fundamental part of who I am. You know, my contact and my, my, um, friendships, I think that I have developed with some of these beings that there's, I would not trade it for anything. Me neither. I agree with you completely. And free dreamlanders, we're, you're going to agree even more than we are agreeing with each other with these commercials. <laughs> you're going to agree that with them so completely, you're going to rush out and do Whatever we tell you to do, which is going to be basically the same stuff we tell you every week and that which you generally do not do, which is to subscribe to the site. We'll be right back. Now we're back and we're talking to Aaron Montgomery. Her book is Dirty Little Secret Confessions of an Alien Contactee. And you know, you're talking about the value side of it. And I, I'm there too. I have a, there's a lot of value in my experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And there is somebody who comes here all the time who meditates with me, uh, who will, <laughs> if I should fall asleep, when I'm meditating with other people, I lead a, sometimes lead a meditation group. And when I'm falling, if I should fall asleep during the meditation group, they will wake me up immediately by making a buzzing feeling on my lower legs. In other words, they're always here, whoever they are. I never see them, but they're always here. And they're on my side. Mm -hmm. I feel that. I even think it might be my wife. It might be Annie. But there's someone on my side. But there's also something else. And that is that if you're abused enough over a long period of time, you will find a way to see your abuser's sort of through rose-colored glasses. That's known as Stockholm Syndrome. You talked a little bit about the possibility that we may be in that situation. Yes. Yes, I do. Because, well, it, it dawned on me, um, you know, as I was progressing, you know, I, I think that as as experiencers we have these different phases that we go through you know first you're you're trained when you're little as far as like psychic abilities and things like that you move into the breeding times when you're fertile and they're able to harvest and then you kind of graduate and you graduate into being able to help 
these other experiences who are in those early stages and help them feel comfortable and calm them down um, and make, you know, make it easier for them to be used as you were in the past. At least that was my experience. But I didn't really have the memories of it happening. I had people telling me, man, you were there in, in my dream last night and you took me to this place and you made me feel so much better when the scary people came in. And I was like, Oh, I did. Did I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I was, I was giving birth to like these, these twins, but you were there to help me. Oh, okay. I'm glad to know that I was of comfort to you. But at the same time, it makes me think, what the heck is going on? Now I'm, I'm treating people the way I, or, you know, helping people through these experiences that I did not like and very uncomfortable and scary for me. So does that mean I'm on their side? Does that mean that I have been trained into this against my will? Or is this just a, you know, just a part of everything that's supposed to happen? So it really, you know, I went through a very dark phase of trying to come to terms with the fact that, uh, have I turned coat? You know, am I, am I against humans now? Am I, or am I on their side? And I, and I'm working with these ET beings and, and doing things to humans and helping them do things to humans that I don't think is okay. Let me ask you this. You've had experiences with a being that, uh, is neither male nor female. That's correct. I'm right about that. Vada? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. That and it was another really dark part of my life where I was, I was, um, in an abusive relationship, um, my second marriage and, um, and I was warned by them, don't, don't, don't go there, don't do that. <laughs> but I did it anyways because I was being defiant. Like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to date and marry whoever I want. But I should have listened. I should have listened. But right near the end of that relationship, I was approached by a being who called himself Veda or Vada, like you said. And it was like the spirit of, uh, of an ET. And in my, my opinion, or my thoughts at the time was that perhaps it was one of the beings that had crashed here and died and he was stuck. And that, and that's what was in my mind. He was, he was from the crash in 47 and he was trying to get home and perhaps I can help him. But he was the one that taught me. I say he, because it can a more active. And, that, no, and that's one of the things that I've noticed. Yeah. It's there's active or there's nurturing and he was much more active. And so, heat comes out of my mouth but um there was no gender it, it, it was it was like uh he said you know whatever you want to perceive me as is just fine you know if it helps you <laughs> to think of me as gender do it you know whatever but he was the one that really helped me understand um like creating boundaries how to protect myself in a psychic manner if there's if there's energies that are coming close how to keep them away but also how to open up and to start to work with these energies that I was perceiving around me um, and then help them. So he, he, he was comforting when he was there. Comforting. I've, I've never really personally been comforted. I don't think too much, but I have gotten very involved in this experience. And when, after the show is over, I'm going to add a little, little codicil, 
which you can listen to if you want to and comment on if you wish, uh, about an experience that happened the night before last. It was very powerful. Uh, that, um, where I found myself kind of bonding with something that was really, really terrifying. And I'm wondering if that's happened with you, that you're, you, you're experiencing, and we sort of talked about Stockholm Syndrome a moment ago, but the bonding with the negative side of it is really interesting to me because a lot of us are having that experience, especially recently. What does that mean to you? Not that well, we're as I'm trying to think evil, about it, we're kind of accepting it. From what I have experienced, it, it has been, you know, the entities, especially since the book came out, um, telling me you have to help people get over the fear. You have to help people calm down so that we can communicate easily with you instead of having you shut down because you're going to, into a fear state. Um, like we have fault. to learn how to relax. Huh? They're pissed off at me about the fear, too. Uh, no. But it's not our fault. Yeah. It's their fault. Don't they get that? <laughs> it's their fault. It is their fault. And that's in there. And it's just like, a, uh, you know, is the feeling I get from them like, oh, come on, let's let's relax. Like the human brains don't work that way. We have to approach this from a different manner. And I and, it, you know, it's really interesting. Something that I've been wanting to research is going back through, you know, different people's experiences and and how how the ETs themselves have changed their MO as they understand the human brain and work with them in a gentle fashion. If you go back to Betty and Barney Hill, that was very traumatic and and scary and, and there was no there was no the coddling or comfort or anything that that I have felt with these beings. But that is, you know, many years later, you know, one of the earliest experiences would have probably been Okay, we've got a problem with the sound. We got a problem with the sound. Uh, can you say something and see see if it's gone away? Is it better now? Now it's better. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, it makes me wonder if I wasn't supposed to speak about that or something. Yeah, well, that's that's the kind um, of thing that happens on this show all the time. When you get into something, they don't want you to talk about all kinds of weird stuff. Starts to happen. So go ahead. Right. Well, but I think it's important. Well, we can. (laughs) Right. Right. So even, you know, even in my, my known experiences, having ETs that were like handlers are there to, you know, to keep me as calm as possible to find out later that I am being used as these handlers to keep people as calm as possible. And then, you know, in, um, just in the last couple of years, as uh, one of my family mem- members has turned, she had just turned four, and I found myself at her house to take her. And I thought, oh, so we're stepping it up a notch. Now here comes a familiar family member to take you on a ship for these things to happen. So the even less of an impact on the human brain. You know, the fear, the fear level is not going to be there. The damage that is done. The trauma that is done through contact with these the, these unearthly beings is is being phased out in a way to make it more and more safe because 
they're not the ones interacting. It's us puppets almost that are doing the, during the, the work. You know, I was with a psychologist the other day who believes, and I'm, I'm very interested in skeptics and I, I like to be with them because I think that they are an important part of this. Uh, anyway, his attitude was that this, these were all false memories and that what we're, what's happening is that we are having memories of abuse of some kind, but it's basically human in its, in its origin. And we are doing something called transference. We're transferring those memories into a form that's more acceptable to us than it was actually my daddy or my mama. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't agree with him, but I wonder how you feel if, if that is maybe part of it or, or even all of it. Well, you know, as as I know that I have trauma that is outside of the ET experience, it makes me wonder, like, would this be so bad on me if I had not been in a domestically violent marriage? Would the impact have been less on me as I came to terms and understood what was going on? I don't know. Looking back at my childhood, no, I was not abused. There, There's no big missing gaps of memory in my home life. Um, and things like that. But, but there are like really bizarre things that happened to me as a child that even my parents don't like, well, I don't know. This was bizarre. This was weird. My dad told me that I was around the age of seven or eight and he happened to walk by my uh, bedroom door and heard me talking to somebody about wanting to kill myself. I have no memory oh of this conversation God, at that age. At that age, well, I don't, really I have no, I don't know. It did. He said it was the most surreal experience he's ever had to sit down this little girl in these long braids and explain to her why it's a good thing to stay here. But my response was, I just want to go home. And so th- that doesn't make sense. But again, like I said, I don't have any memories of why this would have come out. Uh, both my parents are, are very nice people. They're not abusive at all whatsoever. They're, I had nothing scary happening in my world at that time. However, it was, you know, now that I can calculate back and, you know, after regression with Yvonne, it would have been right after the experience I had at the age of seven and, and having been taken on a ship and it was very impactful for me. So, so there is that. Free Dreamlanders, we have come to the end of our time together, and we will continue on for subscribers. We're going to be talking about hybrids and the possibility that there is hybridization going on now that is actually being bled out into the world. In other words, the hybrids may be growing up, and they're coming to become part of our world, and what that may mean and and what Aaron knows or or has sensed about that. And then at the end, for a couple of minutes, I will describe the experience that happened to me night before last and its implications, which could be if if it is a warning, then they're really profound. If it's a, a threat, it's, they're really profound. But if it's just a, 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 a sort of sample of what could be done, I'd very much like your input, 
And have you had anything similar? Free Dreamlanders, thank you so much for being with us today on Dreamland. Okay, subscribers, we're keeping on. Now it's just you and Aaron and me. And we've all been in this experience, probably. Uh, some of you are, are, are advanced curious. Uh, I would say people who are, who are, have a highly sophisticated vision of this and enough to make you want to join in this website and pay for the additional material, uh, uh, even though you're not close encounter witnesses. And the other week we had the Q and A with Jim Semivan. The first time an a, uh, CIA officer has ever done a public Q&A about his own close encounter experiences, and your questions were highly sophisticated. So I know you're really, really into this and really good at it. Now, uh, first I'd like to mention again, Aaron is available on Facebook at Dirty Little Secret Facebook page, and uh, she her book is Dirty Little Secret. And <laughs> it's a great title for a, for a book about this subject. Because <laughs> this book is so deeply involved in sexuality. I mean, our, the subject is our lives in our sexuality, in what it means to be human. For the women especially, it's unimaginable to me that you have to deal with what you have to deal with in this. I mean, do you, do you dream perhaps about those babies? Or? How many do you think you have? I do. I, it, it, some of them I remember naming. I think I have at least 10, you know, that I can, I can remember, you know, the motions of giving birth, um, or, or having these experiences where birth happens and I'm, and I'm handed these children. And, and like I said earlier, they are so tiny. They're like this big. This big, you know, like thumb size. And, and my experiences with them is I'm, I'm handed these babies and I'm, you know, and I have to love on them and I have to coo and, and preen and, and, and just love these children. And, and that is happening to me time and time again. And, um, you know, I have one that I remember thumb size tiny and I named her Nicolette and then later I saw her as about a toddler about two or three with these big big eyes and this wispy blonde hair and just this huge head on a tiny body um and um there was a baby named John there was one that was named Wesley Bertrand and I could never understand why that name it was just bizarre uh Chandra these names have something to do with do you suppose these names have something to do with the father's because the fathers there too. Uh, they took my semen, so I'm there. I'm there. I'm in that somewhere. Yeah, right. It very, it very well could. And, and the names have always been like, well, I don't really know where this comes from, but here's here's your name. This is this is who you are. And I remember when Chandra was born. This would have been in um, summer, fall of 2020. I remember when she was born and I remember introducing her to a staircase of other children, you know, like five, four, three, two, one, here's your sister, you know, and, and I remember, but I don't remember what they look like. I don't really remember them. I just remember that act of introducing this new sibling to these other beings. Um, 
I don't have a lot of contact with with them. Um, I know I've I've been brought to and and spent a little time with them, but not a lot. Um, I have talked to women who feel completely broken, knowing knowing that they've got these children in space, and and I just wish I could connect. And I've just got this weird indifference, like. Eh. It is what it is, but also have found that in my own motherhood of my own children that are here on earth, again, the bonding has been very difficult and, you know, they're in their twenties, but it has been, it has been extremely rocky and it is very hard for me to, to step into that mother role. And I cannot help but imagine that it is because of these other experiences that I've had. Um, that have really influenced that, okay, I'll mom you, but from over here, <laughs> and I'm just not going to get involved because it hurts. It hurts to be separated. And so, you know, it, and, and it's so much, so very much a trauma response. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, you, you're talking about a life with a lot of, a lot of um, trauma, a lot of PTSD in it, frankly. Uh, and I, right. I am too. I mean, I've, I've still, I'm still dealing with PTSD because of the things that happened to me so long ago. And uh, the things that happen now uh, are mostly not very traumatic, but they can be. And so there's a constant undertone of trauma. And trauma is its very distorting. It distorts your memories. It distorts your personality. It distorts your emotions. It distorts everything. Um, have you ever... St- thought about ways of of uh getting rid of the trauma or at least lessening it have you ever tried any of that stuff any of those things yes tell us yes absolutely well um you know having met uh yvonne smith is probably been one of the lifesavers of you know for me um you know i went from completely traumatized and especially coming off of that experience I had with the human there and the, and the, the fetal extraction that I went through back in about 2012 um, and being able to come back to her and saying, okay, now it's time. I have got to, I've got to address this. I have got to get to the seat and the root of the trauma because I am no longer functioning. I wasn't sleeping. I had, my whole world was falling apart. I was starting to miss work because I wasn't sleeping and I was exhausted and, 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 and so we set up a session and we did go to the root of the trauma and it was what had happened to me at the age of seven. Um, and being taken on ship and having something implanted in the roof of my mouth by a being that just scared the tar out of me. Um, but after being regressed to that moment, I, no longer was afraid to sleep. I could turn out the light in it and it lasted for years. And um, if I had not gone through that healing with her, I don't, I don't know how I would have been able to move further into my understanding of contact and, and, and being able to come to terms on my own, you, you know, in a spiritual light and just in my everyday life. If I had not addressed it then. Um, and I've had to readdress things since um 
But, you know, so for me, hypnotherapy and hypnotic regression was extremely helpful for me. And in fact, that, you know, I, I have become a therapist myself and I am trained in hypnotic regression and now I have trained with Yvonne and can do it myself and I can help others. And to me, that feels hugely empowering. Yeah, it's really important to be able to help others. That That's why I do Dreamland every week and have been doing it every week for 20 years. I don't think I've missed even a week, maybe two, maybe one or two <laughs> weeks in that whole time since 1998. And the reason is I'm called to do this, and it helps me too. Because every time I've got mm-hmm. someone like you on the show, I know it's helping other people. Now, it, I want to take a kind of shift here, because there's so much of interesting in the book. And one of the things that has happened recently is some papers have been released, and I believe there's a story or will be a story about this on Unknown Country soon, showing that the uh, uh, Defense Intelligence Agency and the and NASA have looked very seriously into things like traversable wormholes. And you mention uh, the Einstein-Rosen Bridge in your book. <laughs> and can you tell yep. us about why you would decide to bring that up and what it may mean to you? Well, it, it's, it's a pretty long and interesting story. I would, when I was in elementary school, I would be sitting in class and see this really small, you know, smaller than a dime size rotating gray mass in my, well, I don't know if it's a mass, but it would be circling, circling, circling. And I could tell there was a hole in the middle. It, 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 uh, almost like a spool of thread that was squished in the middle. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine about it years later. I mean, I was an adult and uh, actually was in the process of starting to write down my experiences for the, for the book. And I like drew it. I said, this is what I'm, I saw in my eye as a child. I never knew what it was, but it was there. I saw it all the time. I named it George because it was always present. Um, and he said, my God, that's an Einstein Rosen bridge. And I thought, well, what the heck is that? You know? And so I looked it up and <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So this is wormhole and travel and, and, and interdimensionality. And, um, it was a little bit before that I was having experiences with this being who showed himself in, um, a renaissance type garb, you know, a big fluffy cravat and, and pantaloons and white tights and these, these silly shoes with big buckles and a, and a powdered wig. And he was brutal in teaching me how to create a wormhole that you, you sit and you focus on your destination and, and there would be a, uh, like just a circle that would open up in the in the air in front of me, and I could see the destination, and he'd say, go through it. I'd go, okay. And I would go through this, and I would say, okay, all done. He's like, no, do it again. And I was then, again, created a destination in my mind. The, the hole would open. I would step through and say, okay, done. He's like, no, do it again. And it was all night long, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I was being taught how to create these gates and these wormholes and, and, um, 
I'm not exactly sure why. However, I think that I use it a lot in, in like a, like a shamanic type of way. If I'm, if I'm helping a spirit that has come to me cross to the other side, this is the technique that I use. I see where they need to go and I create the hole and off they go, you know, and so it's, it's fascinating. So but this has been in my head where, since I was where, little. Where do you go? Do you, well, let me, let me back up. Do you go physically or not? I don't think so. No, where I don't do think so. Where do you go then? Where do you go? Where it's, are these? Uh, do, <laughs> now, it's hard to, to define these things. I'm going to say, you know, in some sort of weird New Agey babble, like maybe a fifth dimension, like I'm, I'm outside of my it's not physical, actual, physical world. body. It, it doesn't look like this. No. What does no, it look well, like? I mean, Can you describe it? Um, well, the destinations are all different. So, um, one of the places I've gone a lot is a place that has this crystal city. It, it sparkles in the light and it's on, on a cliff over an ocean and it has a dome over it. And, and I do see like ships that will fly in and there's also creatures that live in the water that are sentient. Um, and there's, there's multiple types of beings that live in this city it's almost like a hub i don't know but this is one of the places that i have um gone many many times you know uh, i just call it the city (laughs) the ancient sumerians thought that they had contact with beings who were uh from sirius this uh, and who uh were water dwellers Interesting. That's kind of what I assumed it was, was serious because of the water dwellers, the land dwellers, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this universe is so big and so complex that it's possible that anything can happen in it. In other, in the sense that there's so much, there, there's an endless, overwhelming mass of possibilities. And eventually everything will happen and then it will be over, <laughs> but it's going to take a while. <laughs> um, now let's get back to hybrids because I have thought that the hybrids that I've encountered when I was younger would be adults by now because I, we had one who lived with us in our cabin and, 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 and when we lost the cabin and went to Texas, he came with us. He didn't come in our car. He came in another car, but he came and he was real. And he was with two men who were the most terrifying people I've ever seen in my life. Uh, they were really, really eerie. He was younger. And in recent years, I have become, come to think that he might have been my son. And he was terribly troubled and I drove him off and, um, how do you f- react to the idea that there may be hybrid adults as adults living among us now? I think that we absolutely do. Um, you know, part of the blue room experiences that I was having a couple of years ago with the, the strange sexual encounters, almost like an orgy, some of them were very instructional. And so 
it was my understanding at the time that the that these hybrid men were being taught how it is that you were supposed to please a human woman. Like you touch them here and you do this, see how she responds, do it again. This is how it goes. Um and and I um and I have been like reciprocated, you know, in this reciprocal position where being with somebody behind me, and, and this gets really graphic, but being told, okay, shift your hip up to to the left. There you go. That's right. You know, and things like that. And it and it's been very odd. So I I do believe that they, these um these hybrids are you know of all ages, including adults. And I do believe that they are trying to make themselves you know they're trying to adapt here. I don't know if I've ever met any in person. I don't you know I've seen some people that looked like they were a little off. And maybe, you know, just strange, like they didn't quite look like they belonged here, um, as far as this planet goes, but I've never, I've never had experiences like you have talked about and encounters and, and speaking to a hybrid, but I, I absolutely think that it is going on. Well, I, it, it, it could be going on and, uh, because if this is real, then I'd be very surprised if it, if it wasn't going on. And I always say if this is real, because after all, when push comes to shove, we don't have any video. We don't have any (laughs) proof. We don't have an alien pair of shoes made on another planet or anything. We have nothing except memory. And memory is such a difficult problem because and, and two things affect memory profoundly. One is trauma. And two is seeing things and being in situations with which you are in time, with which you have zero familiarity because the brain puts its vision of reality together by using comparisons. And that's why when we start out as babies, we have, we're a complete blank slate and we have to slowly build these sets of comparisons that gradually make the world real for us. And when you end up with an experience that's outside of that context and you're traumatized, there's no way to be sure what your memories are. So here we are with this. Right. It feels like it's real. And in my case, that boy who followed us was totally real. He was a physical being, physical being. And so were the two men who were with him and they had very, weird and creepy capabilities period that was real so i think a lot of what you're talking about is probably real too just because you don't have you don't have a a a, a place a ground to stand on doesn't matter mm-hmm. Because I have a feeling that your memories might be very accurate. Where do you think it's going? I mean, it's happening because there's something to do with us, with our sexuality, and with the making of babies. But where is this going? Aaron, what do you think it's for? Are we being replaced? That is such a good question. That is such a good question. And, and, and I don't know the answer. I wish I did because it is so bizarre. I mean, are we, 
Are we in such danger that the human race will be obliterated? Is there is there something lacking in our DNA that needs to be replaced? Or opposite, is there something lacking in their DNA that needs to be replaced? Um, I mean, what what is the purpose of the combining of all of these species? I don't think it's just one other type of being that is being bred with the human race. I think there are many, many different ones coming and doing um, these, you know, these. I don't even think they're experiments anymore. Um, you know, that may have been at one point in time, but there is a purpose and there, and there is logic, but I'm not necessarily sure what it is. And the end zone, all I know is, you know, the experiences I've had and what I have been able to take out of them. One is that these babies that are being created have to have the bond of love and or they don't thrive. Yeah, they don't thrive. And that word thrive is what I have been told by these beings. I've actually been taken on ship to work with babies that were not mine. They were rejected by their mothers and or fathers, you know, whoever, and, and they would not have take that bond. And and they've been saying, please, we need your help. Can you please bond with this child? It is not thriving. And and I will. I'll sit and play with it because you know everybody deserves the love of of human contact. You know. And so, yeah. You you mentioned Mm -hmm. this floppiness. Remember in the book you mentioned it, floppy. Yes. I've seen that too. I've seen that too. I had my own. I had. I've seen that too. That floppy. That strange sort of like there's nobody in the body and then you, you love the child and, and it becomes a child again. You've had that. You've seen Yes. That. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like the head, there's, there's nothing there. It just lolls around almost like a newborn, but they're no longer newborns. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a bizarre experience, but that love and that care is what is absolutely key. And, and they have been able to express that to me. Um, one experience I had, though, it was actually twins. These, these tiny little twins sitting on a countertop in this like round, um, almost looked like an eggshell, like carrier thing. I mean, it was smaller than my palm. And, um, these beings brought me there and they're like, we need, we need you to take these into an, into this next room so, and, and bond with them like you do and, and make sure that they feel developed so that they can thrive and, and be healthy and, 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 and happy and all of this. And as they were telling me this, there was this woman, um, railing, these cannot be mine. I can't have children. I, I am not interested in men. There's no way I could be pregnant, you know, and so she obviously was lesbian and had no interest in men, had never had any sexual intercourse with a man. So therefore there would be no babies. And so her mind was like, no, this is impossible. I'm not doing this. You can't make me. And they're like, well, crap, we need, we need, we need this baby, these babies to be loved. So they found somebody who would. Um, and, and it was really that that made me say, okay, okay, I understand that part. These babies have to have the contact with the, with humanity or with love. I don't know if it's, um, a soul level of connection that has nothing to do with humanity, but soul and love itself. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. 
but I know that it's important. You know, I met someone once. I didn't meet this person. I was I was in a situation where I I interacted with them. It, not an unusual. It was a it was a regular life situation. Who had no emotional content at all. They were completely indifferent emotionally. And I actually, I asked the psychologist about this. That I said it wasn't like an autistic person. It was like someone who had no emotions, that that part of their brain didn't exist. And he said it's very unusual, but he, he said when you're in my profession long enough, you realize anything is possible. So, uh, but I've often wondered if I was meeting a hybrid that, that was made without emotions. Uh, and okay. I, that's, that's the possibility. Have you ever met anything, anyone, any beings that would seem to be completely without emotions or not? I, I don't think you mentioned that in the book. So it's just a sort of a shot in the dark kind of question. Right. No, no, it is actually a, a really interesting question because um, I have not met anybody without emotions, but I have been extremely surprised when I picked up on emotions with these with these creatures. I actually back last June had an experience. So this is you know a couple of years after my book. No, I guess one year after my book was released, I was going to speak at a conference, the only one I've spoken at so far. A little bit nervous, but right before I went, I had this experience that I only learned through regression. I just knew that something set me back into PTSD. Uh, you know, my, my trauma was back. I was no longer functioning. And um, so I went and I got a regression, but I found out that there, there was something like medically wrong with me and I was taken on ship and I was being worked on by these two beings that looked very, very robotic. They, you know, very smooth, uh, very clean lines about them, and I just assumed they were robots, but they were had they had emotions, and I could feel it empathically, even though what they were you know emitting and telling me was incongruent with what they were saying, and and I guess it was that incongruency that that you know tripped my mind and, and freaked me out, but even even with these beings who appeared to be robotic, I could feel that they had. Emotions. They may be different than ours and they may express them differently, but they do feel. And I think that, um, you know, some of these beings may be better equipped to express it than others. Um, and the, and if it was a hybrid that you met, maybe they just, they don't have a clue on how to express. Now I have the impression that this is all something you do not now wish would go away. You're, 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 that is correct. But there was a time, there was much of your life when you would have liked it to go away. But not yes, now. Yes, absolutely. What's changed? Hmm. Once I was able to process some of those traumatic um, experiences, when I was able to say, Yes, what happened to me may have been scary and it really affected my psyche, but it was not an intent to hurt me. Once I got to that point, 
I was way more able to accept what was happening and and kind of try to take a step back. I don't I don't understand what's going on and I'm afraid, but I'm not unwilling to see what it is that you're trying to tell me or teach me. And and as I have done that, I've been able to embrace further uh, abilities like telepathy, like uh, uh, empathy and, you know, even energy um, manipulation um, in a really strange form. I learned how to bend spoons the other day. That was very exciting. Um, but <laughs> but um, but I use it in my everyday life that, you know, the, the things that I am taught and the, the way that I am is something that makes me who I am today. It makes me a good therapist. It makes me you know, able to do my job, um, or jobs, you know, as working as a psychic, as a shaman, and then in my everyday world as a therapist, I'm able to see very deeply into how people are thinking and feeling and, and be able to say just the right thing to help them move over a little, like, oh, 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 I see what you mean, you know, and, and so start to bring that healing that needs to happen. And so for that, absolutely, I'm, I'm okay with what's going on. So maybe that's where we should leave it for now. And I am too. I, I'm okay with what's going on. And probably after you hear what I'm going to talk about now, folks, you'll wonder why. But in any case, I am, and I am largely because it's so incredibly informative on so many different levels. Now, Aaron, you can, I'm going to, uh, uh, go solo on my side. But you're welcome to stay and listen, and if you want to comment afterwards, I'll bring you back. Or if you need to go, I promised you an hour and a half, and we've done an hour and a half. So if you need to go, uh, I understand, and we understand. So what's your decision? Yeah, I'll sit here. Ten minutes or not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I'll wait. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. I was with some friends in Texas who I know well, and have been with many, many times in my life. And usually when I'm with friends, things don't happen, overt things. And, and in this case, while overt things happened, they weren't in such a way that the friends could notice because I was in a bedroom well away from where their bedroom is. And here's what happened. As I was going to sleep, I finished in the john and turned out the lights and as soon as i turned out the lights i saw a white uh object uh on the um on the uh sort of it, it, near the floor it was a white round kind of round thing blurred around the edges not unlike in co- in its texture and color like the white thing which is mentioned in communion which we used to see in our cabin, which could, I mean, in our house at home in, uh, in, uh, New York, which could form into a shape and it could touch you and would poke Anne and wake her up and poke our little boy and wake him up and sometimes me also. Anyway, that was there. And I saw it twice. At first, I thought it was something wrong with my eyes. And then I realized it's not my eyes. It's this there. And I went on off to bed because I've I've been doing this so long. There was a time when I would never have gone to sleep after that. I would have been up all night or wanted to go to a hotel or something. But I'm quite used to it, and I just uh, went to bed and uh, did my late-night meditation and went off to sleep. 
And then three o'clock came and I did the early morning meditation. And then afterwards, there was a very vivid dream. And it was this. I was getting my mail, which I have to go out to do. And there was a big white vehicle in the parking lot. And it was very intimidating. I'm intimidated by big white pickup trucks, which I'm sure a lot of you, maybe some of you drive them and some of you, are, others are intimidated by them. But in any case, when I'm driving along the highway and a huge white pickup comes and ends up in my, you know, three feet from my rear deck going 70 miles an hour, I'm scared. So this was a huge white vehicle, very intimidating. And inside it was something. And I decided that I would walk home. I didn't want anything to do with this thing. And as I was walking home, this was the middle of the afternoon, everything became completely dark. Remember, this is a dream. I'm not telling you about a physical experience. Darkness, complete, total darkness fell in the middle of the day. And not only was it darkness, there were no lights on in anything. It was dark. There were no street lights. There was no light of any kind, not in any building, anything. It was as if light itself had been turned off. And it was scary. It was very scary. I felt like something would happen. And so I went back because I had a feeling that it had been one, one of the grays sitting in that big vehicle. And I looked in the window of the vehicle. I could see well enough. It wasn't totally, it wasn't like blindingly black. It was more like deep night black. And I could see sitting in the driver's seat something that really scared me because it looked like a gray. Only it had the face on it of the, the face in, uh, uh, in the horror movie face that the scream face. And that face is really very scary to me. I, I can't even go to those. I, I won't go near those movies. And then something happened to me and I thought to myself at first, I don't dare get in there because that's a, the face of a crazed predator. I'll be killed. And then I thought, no, it's not. It's the face of an angel. That's what an angel looks like to someone who is afraid. And I wanted to get into the thing then. And I, I, I tried to open the door, but there was no door handle. And the entity turned and looked toward me, still in that horrifying face that you see all the time in the movies. And the dream ended. I woke up in a big sweat. And I knew then something interesting. That if there was ever a physical invasion, and this is not saying there would be one, it would start with the complete absence of light. Light would end. And then some people would ascend 
Some people would descend. And when the light came back, it would be that the meek had inherited the earth. And that was the experience. So I'm going to, uh, Aaron is still with us. and Aaron, if you wish to comment on it, go right ahead. Oh, her sound's not working. Okay, well, uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, any hope of any sound? No. Oh, wait a minute. I think it's my, on my end. It is. It, it is. is. It, was it is. How that happened, I don't know. <laughs> but we've solved it. I've, earlier we had, she had to change her <gasps> cell phone because we could not get any sound. And my end was not muted. Now yeah. my end was muted. So, okay, great. Do you have any comment? Hey. I do, actually. There, there's several different comments. One is that being afraid and it being scary is not necessarily bad, which is something that has reverberated over and over to me. Just because it's scary doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's different, and you shouldn't necessarily discount it as evil or dark or bad just because you don't recognize it. And, you know, as the entities tell me, you've got to work through your fears. You've got to be able to set those things aside so that we can communicate with you on this even playing ground. And you don't just run away because we're different. Than I can't talk to you if you're running away. You can't hear me correctly if you're coming from a fear based. As you said, trauma distorts. It distorts information that's coming in. And so that in, in one way, that is very, very familiar content, you know, as far as the, the screen face and the scary and that thought of, wait a minute, maybe this isn't as bad as I am perceiving. But on the second hand, come back into like September, I had a dream in which I knew and we all knew on the planet that the sun was about to go out. We had eight minutes left, and that's all that we had. And we had to figure out how do we spend these last eight minutes of light, of togetherness. And I remember in the dream, my boyfriend bent down to tie his tennis shoe. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? You're wasting time. No, let's just be together. And then um, as the dream progressed, as we're trying to figure out how do we handle the end, I noticed that reality was shifting and and I could reach out and touch even just like the sky or the, the you know the air in front of me and I could move what appeared to be pixels out of the way and see into the blackness beyond to say this is just a construct. There is something on the other side. And it, it but it was completely dark. There was no light. There was nothing. It was black on the other side of reality. I knew the next morning that when we did this interview, you would have a very important thing to say about that dream. And you just said it, that you had also dreamed that the sun would go out. Well, I think, Mm -hmm. folks, this has been an extraordinary show. I'm so 
incredibly grateful to the universe for giving me the chance to do Dreamland, which I've been doing for so long now. And every time I do a show, it feels like this, like it feels right now. Such an incredible experience. And you have really given us a lot, Aaron, and I, I want to thank you. And I want to end with the second elegy of Rainier Maria Rilke, because I think it's relevant to our understanding, our growing understanding of how to cope with this. Every angel is terrible, and still, alas, knowing all that, I serenade you, almost deadly birds of the soul. If the dangerous archangel took one step now down toward us from behind the stars, just is behind those pictures. (laughs) Our heartbeats rising like thunder would kill us. And now the biggest question of all, it it comes from the next line of the poem, and it's about them, and it's about us. Who are you? That's Dreamland. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.